engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is 10 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. And the phone number just so happens to be 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Glad to have you with me this evening. We need to talk about this story that is percolating right now. Before I get into the Alex Jones and other stuff, let me read you this because this was relevant to the resurgent gathering this weekend with Ted Cruz, but there's more to it, and it relates to Stacey Abrams here in Georgia. This is the Texas Tribune. Win or lose, Beto O'Rourke's campaign against Ted Cruz could shape Texas politics for years. Subtitle. Despite the excitement he's generated among Democrats, U.S. Representative Beto O'Rourke's bid to unseat U.S. Senator Ted Cruz is still widely viewed as a long shot. Yet the El Paso congressman's campaign could still help rebuild his party and make a difference in races lower on the ballot. Now, what does this have to do with Georgia? Well, you need to understand what's going on in Texas and in Georgia to get a sense of the Democrats' long-term playbook in trying to rebuild themselves in southern states. In Texas and in Georgia, Democrats are trying to fill up every ballot slot in the state, in the state legislature, congressional runs, statewide offices, mayoral posts, county commission seats. In Texas, you got the Texas Railroad Commission, which I find hilarious. So the Texas Railroad Commission actually is the commission that oversees oil and gas. And the Democrats are trying to fill this all up. Now, so what they're doing is they're hoping for a couple of things. And part of it you need to understand is an intentional fundraising strategy. They're first of all trying to fill up as many spots on the ballot as they can, hoping that their Democratic counterpart makes a tactical mistake, makes a real screw up. Um, Because if they make a real screw up, if something comes out about the Republican, well, the odds are they may get their seat and be able to boost gains just through luck. The other thing they're trying to do is they're trying to improve their margins, See, if you talk privately to national Democrats, they all know Stacey Abrams isn't going to win in Georgia. And they know that Beto O'Rourke and whoever the Democrat running for governor of Texas is, they're not going to win in Texas. They know this. It's a no-brainer to them. What they want to see, though, is are these candidates making an impact? So, for example, Wendy Davis against, actually, you know what, let me get the actual margin here. Um... Wendy Davis versus Greg Abbott. I want to get this this precisely right for you. Greg Abbott beat, uh, it was 59.3 to 38.9 four years ago. Greg, Greg Abbott statewide got 59.3% of the vote. Wendy Davis got 38.9% of the vote. Abortion Barbie. The turnout was 33.7%. So the Democrats this year, they want to see... Can they make gains in that? Can they, for example, increase voter turnout from 33.7% to 34-35%? Can they reduce Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz's margins of victory from roughly 60% to 57%? Can they boost the Democratic percentage of, of loss? Can they well can they boost their gains from, say, 38% 
to 40 or 41%. If they believe, if they do that, then what they can do is they can go back to the George Soros funded groups and others, and they can say, hey, you know what? Look, we didn't win, but we're in the right trajectory. And it's all about the trajectory because if they can show they narrowed their margin of loss, they can justify another infusion of cash. And they think drip, 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 drip. They can continue to to build with Democratic donors the idea that Texas and Georgia are close to flipping. See, this has everything to do with Georgia as well. Stacey Abrams has been telling Democratic donors for years that she was doing statewide voter registrations. Now, never mind that they, they don't ever show up. I mean, look at the John Ossoff race. That's what they promised there. They had this massive number of new registrations, and those people were going to dominate. They were going to crush it. They were going to beat Karen Handel based on new voter registrations, and they didn't show up. And Stacey Abrams has forever been promising that there was just going to be this huge wave of new Democratic voters. They were going to come in and they were going to dominate. And her nonprofit was registering these people. There's a lot of evidence it didn't happen. But the Democrats have been pushing for a while saying, it's close. It's close. George is going to turn. George is going to turn. Keep at it. Keep at it. And now they would have you believe it's going to happen this year and it's not. There's a real difference, though, between Texas and Georgia that we really need to discuss here because it is the most important difference between the two. In Texas, voters moving into the state and minority voters are actually trending Republican. Remember, Greg, Agget, Greg Abbott beat Wendy Davis with Hispanic voters. Yes, Greg Abbott, the Republican incumbent, beat Wendy Davis with Hispanic voters. Something about Texas, policies and traditions and whatnot, causes voters to trend towards being conservative. But in Georgia, most of the Republicans are just Democrats by another name. Most of the Republicans, including Nathan Deal in leadership, had a D next to their name until the mid-90s with Bill Clinton and the fallout from the Clinton scandals. And they've never really sat down and they've never really put thought into what can we do that's different from the Democrats? What can we do that will cause people to move our way? See, they, they battle that they battle on, on socially conservative issues to keep socially conservative Christian voters turning out. But how do they persuade Hispanic and black voters in Georgia to move to the GOP? How do they show them that the GOP can benefit them? Well, the Democrats know this. That's really the dividing line between Texas and Georgia right now when it comes to campaigns that Stacey Abrams thinks they have a better shot at turning Georgia blue than the Democrats think they have a shot at turning Texas blue. But what they're going to do in both cases is they're going to run as many candidates as they can in as many races as possible. They're going to hope to pick up seats through errors made by the Republicans, and they're going to hope to narrow the margin of loss that they have so they can go back to the George Soros-funded national groups, Democracy Action, Democracy Now, and the like, and say, look, 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 we got even closer than two years ago or four years ago or five years ago. We're making progress. Give us even more money. It's time, it's time, it's time. And it's not time, but they'll convince the donors because the donors are in this for the long game. The donors are in this so that they can long-term change these states blue. I got to tell you, having been in the conservative movement for a long time and having dealt with donors and seen pitches to donors and whatnot, the profound difference between the left and the right is that Democratic donors want to see year-over-year gains made in the advancement of their cause. Republican donors want to see year-over-year financial return on investment.
And because they're pursuing two different things, the GOP donors want their money back. Democratic donors, they want a permanent progressive state. And they're using Georgia and Texas as playgrounds to test their models. It is 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here, News 95.5, AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This story infuriates me, which is why I'm going to put it here in the short segment. The Bachelorette winner, Garrett Rigoyen, previously at center of controversy for liking Instagram posts, mocking transgender people and Parkland survivor David Hogg. This is the the online digital mob has come out against this guy who won the Bachelorette and now they're attacking the actual or the, the won the Bachelor and now they're attacking the Bachelorette who picked him, whatever her name is. I have no idea. Oh, yes, Becca Cuffer. I don't watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I used to, and it just got dumb. Nonetheless, and rather offensive in parts, nonetheless. So this guy liked some posts on Instagram that mocked transgender people, immigrants, and Parkland survivor David Hogg. (gasps) They were exposed, according to the Daily News in New York, which is basically going out of business. They're the ones who've been pushing the story. And he's, he's being bullied by the online mob for liking these. Now, of course, he had to unlike them, and he did the, 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 the standard apology. This reminds me of the Braves player who was a high school student when he put stuff up on Twitter that people now don't like, and they're coming after him. Why would anyone want to continue to participate in this stuff? And Instagram is like the good one. Twitter, I went through and deleted all my tweets. It's just, it's awful to see people getting trolled and harassed for things that happened a decade ago or so. It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Now. I want to get into the Alex Jones situation a little more as it's developing. Apple is now under attack from progressives for not removing his app from the App Store. The Alex Jones apps allow you to get his videos. They allow you to get his uh, texts, his posts, his audio files, his podcasts, you name it. You can get all of that through the App Store. And the left is outraged that he's not being thrown off the App Store. And Apple's point is that they allow, with the exception of pornography, Apple allows pretty much anybody to have an app to access whatever. And in fact, you can access even adult content through some of their apps. But they don't promote it. You got to know where to find it. And you can't get, they won't allow specific adult content apps like for example some of the online adult versions of youtube they they won't let their apps in the store but if you want to go on safari the built-in web browser on apple and access adult content you you can you're perfectly able to it is the degree to which apple is connected to it that matters so for example apple hosting the alex jones podcast is one step removed from apple it is apple to the podcast 
Apple hosting the Alex Jones app is two steps removed. There's nothing wrong with the app per se. You go Apple to the app, and then from the app, you go to the individual podcast that Apple has a problem with. And Apple has essentially defined itself as, as long as it's two steps removed, it's okay. Facebook is slightly different, and they've clarified their banning of, of Alex Jones. And Alex Jones apparently is still on YouTube. You can't get the Alex Jones's stuff on YouTube, but he's now being hosted by other people on YouTube, and Google has yet to shut those people down. There's still problems with this, though. And at least Facebook has clarified, and I want to explain that in Apple's approach and why I think they still all need to improve. Apple using hate speech is, I think, a bad thing because we're seeing this afternoon, uh, as we saw yesterday, Media Matters, the, the left-wing agitprop site, is now coming out saying, you know, now you got to go after the global warming deniers because they're putting humanity at risk. You're having every town USA coming out saying, well, why do we have the gun groups? The gun group should be off there. The NRA shouldn't be able to have stuff on Apple. Uh, I'm sure they'll come after my friend Dana Lash, uh, you, who you can hear here on WSB. They'll be coming after her podcast as a matter of time because she defends Second Amendment rights. And what about the churches out there? Or what about the, the Christians? What, what about me, who takes a very strong position on, um, on social issues, from transgenderism to, to gay marriage? When do they come for us? They will. It's only a matter of time. They will. So they should not have gone with the hate speech routes. My, my friend David French has a really good piece in the New York Times today about um, how the New York, how Apple and whatnot should have proceeded, a better way to ban Alex Jones. And he says, hate speech is extraordinarily vague and subjective, but libel and slander are not. Remember, there's plenty of grounds out there to get rid of Alex Jones from these platforms for his specific targeting of harassment, like the, the Pizzagate situation in Washington, D.C., saying that the, the, um, the parents of the kids who died at Sandy Hook appeared to be actors, that some of the kids were actors. All of these things, there are legitimate grounds for throwing off these platforms. It is not censorship. It's not a violation of the First Amendment for a private company to do this. But when you start saying hate speech, well, what is hate speech? Hate speech is something some group doesn't like. And what group doesn't like this stuff? Well, the groups that mostly don't like it and the ones that these companies like Apple and Facebook and Google and the like listen to are liberal groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center that hate conservatives. And so the left is perfectly fine with a lot of this because they think it's going to come after conservatives and not them. But it has the potential to come after them as well. And right now they don't care as long as they can get people on the right shoved off. But there's one more point I got to make on this. I don't have time right here, though. When we come back, though, there is one point. If you only hear one point today, please come back and listen to this relating to how the media is behaving in this whole situation. It is 56 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Um, I I got a couple more points I want to make on Alex Jones, and there's just no time here. I've got less than 30 seconds. When we come back, a couple of thoughts on the media's reaction and their handling of this, and how it becomes easy to look at them and say enemy uh, when they're so defensive about uh, the president's attacks on them. They're playing into his hands. And also, what's up with the special election in Ohio? Why is everybody paying attention to it? I'll tell you when we come back. Running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 
It is nine after the hour, and I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I want to finish this point on Alex Jones so I can move on to other stuff. I think the media has behaved very badly in this, and it gives credence to the president's claims that the media is the enemy. And I don't believe the claim. I don't believe the, it, it, they're the enemy. And as Selena Zito, I, I talked to Selena Zito from the Washington Examiner at the resurgent gathering, and she pointed out she's the one who really she wrote the phrase, uh, much criticized by some of the press, but that the problem in talking about Donald Trump is that Donald Trump's voters take him seriously, but not literally, and reporters take him literally, but they don't take him seriously. And I actually think she's right in that uh, statement. Because the voters at the Trump rallies, they know that Donald Trump's not actually, he, he's, he doesn't believe the press is the enemy of the American people. He says it, but he doesn't really believe it. He's trying to make a point with hyperbole that the media really is against him. They really are out to get him, and they really do malign the president's voters. So I, I thought it was notable in the last 24, 48 hours. I'm not going to name the reporters because I actually think highly of them. I just disagree with them on this issue. I don't want them, the, the mob coming after them online. But there were a number of reporters who were pushing Facebook, Apple, Google, and the like on getting rid of Alex Jones. They weren't just reporting that he had violated their terms and service. They were actively badgering, particularly Facebook and Apple, that he's violating your terms of service. Why is he here? I'm going to write a story on this. Hey, now I'm going to write another story. It's 24 hours later. You still haven't done anything. And <clears throat> essentially threatening over and over to continue to write these stories until Alex Jones was forced off. And now, you know, let, let me read you a, a screenshot of a, a CNN tweet that ties back into a CNN story. Apple and Google are still selling the InfoWars app, which contains some of the same type of content. Both tech giants have pulled from elsewhere on their platforms. See, they're continuing with the story. CNN in particular has been one of the worst defenders on the Alex Jones story. Pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. It is agenda-driven, and it is obviously agenda-driven, and I don't believe the denials of the reporters. It is agenda-driven. They are reporting and reporting and threatening to report unless these companies do something. Now they've done something, and this essentially is a story saying, hey, it's not enough. You better do this too. Is it any wonder people, particularly on the right, think the media is out to get them? This comes on the heels of the Huffington Post story where the man was fired by the WWE because the Huffington Post reporter kept harassing the company because this guy was dating a Twitter troll that supported the president. Seriously, that was the story. Unmasking a troll on Twitter and then getting her significant other fired from the WWE where he worked because he wouldn't he wouldn't break up with her. This level of harassment from the media, particularly towards conservatives, this mob mentality isn't redeeming and plays directly into the president's hands. It really does. It, it allows the president to say, look at these, the, the, the press. They're using the First Amendment to shut down other people's First Amendment rights. And I'm okay with banning. I, I totally, I'm, I'm fine with it. There are plenty of, of reasonable grounds for getting rid of Alex Jones. His own terms of service on his own website say that if people do what he did on Facebook, they will get their accounts shut down. I'm okay with that. 
But the the celebratory nature of how the media is handling this makes it look like it really was an activist push, not actually reporting. And that's bad and really gives people like me who want to defend the media pause from defending them to say, you know, these guys really are turning into left-wing activists. Alex Jones is the beginning. It's not the end. They're going to go after the NRA. They're going to go after Christians. They're going to go after people who have pause about global warming. Just wait. Alex Jones is the precedent. And it's one that can be defended. And in defending him, it's just going to get worse for the rest of us. So there's the problem. Now, my buddy Jim just texted me. They may not be the enemy of the people, but they're the enemy of the republic. (laughs) So I got some friends who disagree with me. on. on, Listen, I don't think the press, by and large, is the enemy. I, I do think, though, that what we're seeing is a really dangerous trend among the hiring of younger people in the press, 20 somethings and early 30 somethings, who have taken an activist mentality. And they are the problem. Because they're not there to report the news. They're not there to report who, what, when, where, why, and how. They have it in their head that by being a journalist, they can improve the world. And that's not a journalist. A journalist is out telling you stories to provide you information. If they want to be a storyteller, that's fine. Many of them are fabulists. They're not actually storytellers. They're just making stuff up to harass people. And that's a real problem because it it breaks down trust. Listen, there's a reason trust numbers for the media are so low. And when the media, I I was talking to a friend of mine, every single one of you listening right now knows who this is. A famous person called me this morning. I'm I'm not bragging, uh, just he happens to be a, a massively famous person who all of you know, and was calling me this morning to vent about coverage of the president. And he said, for example, that he was watching um, media coverage of the Trump rally over the weekend. And you had all these people, they were laughing. The president was clearly having a good time on stage. Everybody was laughing. They were attacking the media and laughing and smiling while doing it. I mean, very tongue in cheek. And then you go back to these reporters on set to cover it and they're all very dour looking very angry and upset and yeah you're just not going to win people over to your side looking like that the president's having a good time the president's a happy where rick perry at at the resurgent gathering some people on the right took issue with it saying that that uh, donald trump was more of a happy warrior than ronald reagan i might disagree with the characterization but i get his point the president's having a really good time in his job and he loves needling the press and the press can't help it They're, they're constantly after him so i'm talking to this guy on on who has his own show, and he, he said, you know, the, the problem here is that not everything that the president does is worth covering, and yet the media covers it as if everything must be covered and must be covered as an outrage. Like, you're, you're absolutely right. And then he talked about uh, coverage from the various news networks and, and looked at CNN, and he said, you know, CNN, for example— Everything that CNN covers, there's a Trump angle. Every single thing. If they covered your mother pooping in the bathroom, they would tie it to Donald Trump. And he's absolutely right there. Really would. Uh, Everything the media covers, they cover it from a Trump angle, and it's designed in a way to outrage people. You never hear the media cover the president doing something good. There's always an outrage angle. And so the president gets on stage and says, these people are the enemy. They're out to get us. He, yes, they absolutely are out to get him. They're not reporting who, what, where, when, why, and how. They're reporting what you need to know to be continuously, perpetually outraged about the president. And then they get upset when he calls them the enemy. So oh, we're going to get shot. We're, we're going to get, what about the president? What about his supporters? 
Hello, James Hodgkinson. I mean, the media's been fanning these flames forever. And they don't seem to be willing to connect it. They, they don't seem to be willing to look at this and say, oh, maybe we shouldn't be fanning so much outrage about the president. How many of these stories have had to be retracted? A great many of them. Maybe they should go back to just being reporters. Give us the information and let us decide what to think about it instead of trying to shape it so that we think about it in only one way, which is typically progressive, anti-conservative, anti-Christian, anti-small government. It is 26 after the hour. When we come back, we got more stuff we got to talk about, obviously, including the forest fires in California, really terrible fires in Northern California. A number of people's lives have been taken. And the mainstream media is having a hard time covering this. This goes back to the media being active oriented now. They don't want to talk about the environmental cost of not doing um, burns, controlled burns. The environmental movement has really been hostile for a while now to the idea of controlled burns. And the Forest Service has, it, it's kind of sunk into the Forest Service. They don't want to do these controlled burns. And it's causing an environmental disaster in California with these fires. Uh, and then there's this other story. There have been a, several stories lately of neighbors in particular, but not just neighbors, bureaucrats in some cases. There's some bureaucrats who went after Girl Scouts for selling cookies without a business license. I'm not kidding. There are neighbors who shut down kids selling uh, chocolate chip cookies because they didn't have a license. There's another one with uh, some neighbors who shut down kids selling lemonade. People behaving badly. There's just there, there's something going on in culture. I mean, if you're a person of faith, you say it's it's evil, demonic, satanic, whatever. They, they, regardless of how you view it, whether you're of faith or not, there's something troubling going on in society. When neighbors are calling bureaucrats and police on kids selling lemonade and cookies, we're really in a cultural bad spot right now, and uh, we need to figure that out. But first, the forest fires in California, and not just California, when we come back. Phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Rich in LJ, you are up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How are you? Good. How about yourself? Doing good. Uh, I think I have an example that maybe illustrates your point about uh, the media and the activism, what they choose to cover. All right. So Donald Trump won Florida by about 113,000 uh, votes in 2016. Mm-hmm. That state will now have around... 100,000 new voters from Puerto Rico. So naturally, the media constantly updates us on relief efforts with the hurricane with that Trump outrage angle you mentioned. We, you know, we never get reports about the uh, you know, or updates about the progress in Texas. So obviously, 100,000 isn't enough to overtake that because, you know, not all of them will vote. Some will be Republicans. Mm-hmm. But they also have another angle with what happened in Parkland which turned into a major get-out-the-vote operation uh, within a couple of weeks for the Uh, 500,000. I hadn't thought about that. We really don't hear a lot about the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey and the rebuilding South South Texas 
angle. But yet we sure do constantly hear the drumbeat on on what's happening in Puerto Rico and how it's all Donald Trump's fault, don't we? Sure, and and with the NRA angle, I mean, they went at CNN, held that, I, I don't know what you, you call it, a rally where they just poured Dana Lash and Marco Rubio. Yeah, the, the propaganda campaign by CNN. Yeah, you know, I actually heard behind the scenes uh, on background from a number of CNN reporters, including several of their very prominent reporters, who were truly and genuinely outraged by CNN's conduct in that sure. and and the gun control effort. And you're absolutely right. This is what they do. They want to focus on these stories to drum up outrage on the president. And it all is all very, very intentional. None of these people like the president. They are absolutely out to getting by design. They want to use their platform to be part of La Resistance to go after the president. There are some really good journalists out there at all the networks, CNN, even MSNBC has some good, genuinely fair reporters. But they're not the ones who get all the exposure. They're not the ones who get all the coverage. And more importantly, they're not the ones who get their shows by and large. Some of them do. But the ones that, that get all, they capture all the attention in the media, man, they're, they're not really the ones who get all the notice and it is by design and it is unfortunate. And I don't think, listen, they didn't stop Donald Trump in 2016. I I don't know that they can in 2020. What they may be able to do though is, is help the Democrats in 2018. The the media is practically giddy over this Ohio 12 race uh, with Troy Balderson and Danny O'Connor. This is a district Ohio 12. Donald Trump won it by 11 points. And the Democrats are going to be really, really close. And everybody's salivating in the media over the idea that the Democrats will pick this up and give the president a black eye. They will immediately blame the president and claim the Democrats are going to be triumphant. And honestly, if the Democrats do pull this off with that level of mobilization, it is a race that could um, be a forebearer of doom for the Republicans in November. But they did the same thing with John Ossoff. Remember that guy? John Ossoff, who's apparently in the witness protection program now. Nobody's seen or heard from him since Karen Handel beat him. Now, i got to talk about this story real quick out in California. It turns out that one of the reasons there have been such devastating fires in different parts of the state is because the Forest Service hasn't been doing controlled burns. Now, I can tell you, uh, in the fall, in this part of the state, where I am. I mean, heck, all over Georgia. You can look off onto the horizon if you live out towards the country and you can see huge plumes of smoke. And it's controlled burns. I've got some friends who live out. It, 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 they've got a, a about, it's about 600 acres where they live, just north of me. And they live up in the woods. They, they do not have an area of yard. They decided to keep the whole thing very wooded. And they do controlled burns on their property every few years. And they do it because they don't ever want to get a lightning strike that sets off a forest fire with so much underbrush that it burns up their entire homestead. And you see, what happens is, tree, you know, trees die. They get knocked over in storms. Limbs fall. Pine straw falls. There's an accumulation. And typically what happens is you do, there's a lightning strike and the whole thing goes up. And they've gotten really, really good about forest management and, and stamping out forest fires. But eventually you get to the point where you've stamped out all of the forest fires that could have cleared out the underbrush and the dead trees that there's so much kindling piled up. You can't stop this forest fire. And usually it's some idiot who's out smoking, building a campfire in the middle of the night and the winds pick up and they set off a forest fire. It's not even a lightning strike. And the left 
has been fighting these. Why? Among other things, carbon emissions. No, I wish I was making that up. Carbon emissions. And now you've got Northern California burning. People are dying. And I'm wondering if, if the Park Service needs to reconsider management of parklands out there. And in some parts of the country, by the way, the Park Service does do controlled burns. Uh, here in Georgia, there, there are lots of controlled burns in uh, parkland areas, in the wooded areas. And, you know, one of the other things is as we're trying to grow longleaf pines down in South Georgia, longleaf pines tend to depend on fires. And so they do do controlled fires to help these trees grow, get rid of kind of the underbrush of, of the smaller um, pine trees that aren't longleaf. They need to start doing that. But, but a lot of these things that we're hearing about right now, remember, they are the culmination of aggressive environmentalist policies over a number of years. One of the things that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, we actually brought in to the resurgent gathering on Friday, my friend Derek Morgan. He works for the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, basically the refiners in this country, talking about cafe standards. To the president's credit, he has he's getting rid of President Obama's cafe standards, that is, the fuel efficiency standards for cars. Because what they do is they make cars less safe. You either have to have a smaller car for your family or a larger, lighter vehicle that can hold your large family. And those cars become less safe when colliding with a pickup truck or an SUV. And it's bad for families. It essentially punishes large families, these fuel efficiency standards. And we're at the point where it's absurd. We don't really need them anymore uh, because cars are getting fuel efficient, just not by government decree, but by the way, they're making them. And constantly, it just seems like these left-wing environmentalist policies, I get the intentions. I don't think they're bad intentions by, the, by and large. Some of them, I think, really are to punish people for having large families, but some of them I get. But it might be time to reconsider them. Unfortunately, we're talking about getting a religion to consider its doctrines, and I don't know that that's going to happen. It is 55 after the hour. Um, there is a, the ongoing effort to confirm Judge Kavanaugh and the Associated Press has come up with a new tactic for scaring Republicans to vote against him. According to the Associated Press, their data from the Associated Press suggests strongly that if Republicans vote for Brett Kavanaugh, they'll lose. They'll lose. I got to tell you, quite honestly, I'm about two bajillion percent sure that Republicans would rather have the Supreme Court locked in place for conservatives than worry about House seats that come up every two years. I am I'm I'm really pretty sure about this, and I don't think these scare tactics are going to work. The, the we went through there. He's he's too unpopular. Now Republicans will lose. What's it going to be next? Something equally outrageous. But he's going to be on the Supreme Court.